Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest has 35 years of experience working with executives and executive teams. He specializes in teaching leaders how to communicate and connect effectively. He is the professional unstucker. You'll have to explain that one to us. Sure. Uh, an ad ageless athlete, six-time Ironman finisher, the founder and president of CTS Consulting. Please welcome Michael Brown. Welcome, Michael. Hey, how are you? Great, thanks. It's awesome to have you on the show. Thanks. Nice to be here. So our favorite topic here is talking about the endurance mindset. I would love to know, Michael, how has your endurance mindset impacted your life unexpectedly? I think probably the 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 biggest surprise I had was um, after I would say after the second Ironman, the 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 first Ironman. That's always special because it's your first, um, and that was Lake Placid. I've done all my races in Lake Placid. Um, the second race, it rained um, uh, five and a half inches in thirteen hours. It's been dubbed the hundred and forty mile swim. It was absolutely the most miserable day physically of my life. And what I discovered in that was that I had I had a gear, I had a reservoir that I I did not know was there. There was a place I went inside of myself that I had never seen before, and that was sort of that's um, really kind of life changing for a couple of reasons. One, you you look at this race and you look at this and say, wow, I I did this and had no idea I could do that. What else could I do that I had no idea I could do? So that was really sort of I guess personally, and then and and professionally, um, I'm, I'm a management consultant, and I and I used to hit people and say, "Well, I'm kind of a professional and stalker, but you can't market that." Oh, yes, you can. You can market anything these days. So, unstucker.com is where you go to find me. And since I'm in the business of teaching people to sort of stretch and take risks. It's really important to me to uh, to stay honest, and basically, I need to do that in my own life. Put myself in really sort of uh, extra special, difficult circumstances, and 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 Ironman has really sort of uh, fit that bill for me. Just that basically saying, I don't know what somebody else is going through when they have to overcome an obstacle, but I know what overcoming an obstacle looks like. So I think it gives me a level of credibility and empathy I wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. And I'd love to know, Michael, uh, on that first example where you talked about your second Ironman at Lake Placid, the hundred and forty mile swim, and you found this other gear. Tell us how how that ha like were you halfway through the race and you said, "Oh, ha ha, I can do this," or was it after the fact realization? No, what happened? Sort of I, I know exactly. I know exactly when it happened. So what happened was I was. Um, I was in the second, I was in the second loop because, you know, it was two 1.2 mile, I mean, it's two 13.1 mile loops. And I was coming back and I was shot. I mean, I was shot. It was maybe 10 o'clock at night and I was down to a slow walk. Three things hit me at the same time. The first one is I saw a sign and the sign said, don't make it because the race is held on Sunday. Don't make a decision today you'll regret on Monday. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, because, you know, once uh, Vince Lombardi, the uh, Green Bay Packer coach, once said, uh, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And, man, I was way past fatigue. I was shocked. Um, 
I realized, I found out after the race that I was both hypothermic and hypoglycemic. So I had, among other things, I had begun to hallucinate and actually seen a Jersey wall at one point during the run. There was no Jersey wall during the run. I had disappeared as quickly as he came. So, but I, I saw that. Then the, the second thing that happened is, is we had been to a church service the night before and the, the person delivering the service was also an Ironman. And he said, so good things are going to happen to you tomorrow, but they're not going to last. I thought, well, that's, that was motivational. Thank you for that. But then he said, but some bad things are going to happen and they're not going to last either. So that was the second thing that came up. And then the last thing was I had, um, because I needed adult supervision at, at the beginning of these things, I, I had a professional triathlete who was coaching me and I had, I had gotten um, tendonitis about six weeks before the race. But that's okay because I was 58 years old. So you don't really need to do much of it in the last six weeks of an Ironman. You kind of take that off. And I called her and I said, do you think I can finish? I thought she was going to say, oh, no, you got this. You know, I, I love her, but she's not touchy-feely. She said, if you want to finish, you will. I thought, well, that was, you know. Now, that was fantastic because at that moment, I didn't need a lot of verbiage. I needed something that I could digest very quickly. So, you know, so but so the, the good things won't last, but bad things aren't going to last either. Don't make a decision that you regret on Monday. And if you want to finish, you will. I put all those together and I said, okay, um, let's just start moving a little bit. Oh, I had a rain jacket on. It had stopped raining by then, like for an hour. I thought, no, it's never going to stop raining. I took, I took the jacket and I threw it into the, the bushes. Um, noting exactly where it was so I could go get it later. And I said, there's a couple of people ahead of you. Go get them. Just them. Go get them. See if you can get them. I got them. Now all of a sudden I'm moving a little bit. Then I'm moving this a little bit more. No started moving. I finished um, with about 15 minutes to spare, but I finished. And that was the moment. That was just, that was in sort of this amazing moment where there was nothing there. And I said, well, let's just, let's see if we got anything there. And that was that, you know, you know, change, change happens in an instant. The steps leading up to change may, may take quite a while, but change itself is like hitting a switch. You know, somebody may be thinking about losing weight for a long time and then they just don't. And then all of a sudden they do. And then the process starts and they, somebody may be really unhappy in, in their work and they don't do anything about it. But then the moment they do. And in that moment, that was that moment. That just really taught me something about just the power of the moment in making a decision. That's fantastic. I love that. The power of the moment in making a decision. Um, and that change happens in an instant. And you're, and you're spot on. Michael, talk to us about how those principles apply to your business life and your coaching. Yeah, so so the way they apply to my business life is I, I I have numbers of stories from the race that that I I will often share with people. So um, one of the one of the very quickly was um, I had I had signed up in two thousand in five of the two thousand six um, decided to go out for a swim um, the in two thousand and five just one of the one point two mile loops got caught in a storm and um, got struck by lightning. Um, survived that. Um, and in business, I'll talk to people oftentimes um, about when lightning strikes. Lightning strikes your business. You lose a big client. A key person um, uh, decides to go work for somebody else. 
these things that happen. And what do you do when that happened? Well, what I did when it happened to me, um, the, I saw, I, it started raining. I saw the water. I mean, the lightning hit the end of the lake. I broke off the swim to go to shore. I felt the uh, a cramp in, in my camp and it shot out the top of my head. And I said, okay, you've just been, you've just been shot. So what I needed to do was I needed to create a plan right off the bat. Not a complicated plan, by the way, just a very simple plan. I didn't have a lot of time. I couldn't do like a white paper on this thing or something. I'd get out of the water. And so I said, well, if I could still swim, um, I'm going to swim, stop, tread water, scream at the top of my lungs for help, put my head down, scream, scream, swim, scream, and scream, and that's what I'm going to do. One of three things is going to happen. I'm going to um, get rescued. I'm going to swim to the shore. I'm going to get hit by lightning again. And I really couldn't think of anything else. So I basically looked at what what my options were, and I decided again, going back to the first story, I decided to take action. And so, you know, you, you know, you lose, you lose the, the client. Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to um, figure out what you need to do about that. But you also want to figure out, like, what did I learn? Like, like not, not in, I think it's important that we have to be, when something's not working, we have to be brutally honest with ourselves, but not in a, in a non-judgmental way. I'm not in the middle of the lake going, you dummy, what are you doing out here by yourself? I'm going to get out of the water. I don't have time for that. So there are too often times what happens is when we're making decisions, and we can enter all this judgment. Why didn't, why, didn't, why didn't I know what I didn't know when I needed to know? Well, that, well, that's why all Monday morning quarterbacks are undefeated. That's why, because... <laughs> If I knew then what I know now, when I've done it differently, yes, I wouldn't have gone in the water in the first place. Yes, I know that. You know, what did I learn? Well, if there's not a little bit of blue in the sky now, like I'm going in, okay, so there's got to be some blue somewhere. I've actually got my wetsuit on and walked out and taken out without swimming. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I get hit my right, and they're like, wow, I'm mean, glad it was you and not me. You know, so so you so you learn from that experience. So. The, the, you know, maybe what happened is, was there a reason that person left that you could have done something about? Maybe sometimes you can't. I couldn't do anything about the weather in the second Ironman. I mean, I had no control over that. So you want to figure out what can I impact? What can I not impact? I think another thing that I learned from that is the, the Adirondack region is short. It's, it's a service industry. So it's the have nots that service the haves. Well, among the have-nots, some have-nots, as it turns out, have more than other have-nots. Lake Placid is the is the wealthiest of all the small towns. And there's a little bit of sort of rivalry between these towns, but not on Iron Man Sunday. Because on Iron Man Sunday, little towns like Teen and Jay and Upper Jay and Wilmington, they mean nothing to anybody. They're, they're, they're big players. Because those are where age stations are, and, and and they have a place at the table. So the whole community comes together. So oftentimes in an organization, rather than looking at the common uh, commonality and, and what we share and what our common goal is, we look at all these differences, and we look at what 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 we don't think the same way, and 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 we don't have a sense of of, of purpose that involves all of us. So you know, one of the things I one of the things I, I help people look at is so let, let's look at let's look at sort of some common whys that you have, and let's look at some things you have in common. Let's let's focus on similarities and not differences. So I look at that, and then I think the other thing that happens is that um, sometimes we can make mistakes. We're, 
One of my favorite stories is that in the first Ironman, because, you know, you have 56 mile loop, you know, the 56 mile, you know, from hell. Um, and then you have, it's because it has a seven mile descent and then basically a, a slightly interrupted 20 mile climb. Um, and so um, I had in my special needs bag, which you can pick up after the first loop. I had this Snickers. This thing was the size of a heat-seeking missile. I mean, I think you have to have a license to carry this thing. Man, I'm coming up to the first loop, and like, I can't wait for this Snicker. Five, five miles for this Snicker. Rima, I'm getting this Snicker. So you know, the, you know, the thing's wrong with military precision. You you shout your number. They come out with your bag. What can I help you with? Just my Snickers, please. I get my Snickers. I sort of lovingly gaze at it, and I'm like, no, no, don't eat it yet. Because right now there's 20,000 people six deep in this town and they're screaming your name. I look at this guy and I laughed. I said, I'll never be this famous again for the rest of my life. This is so cool. Man, I'm getting out of town. It is now time to eat my Snickers. I take the wrapper off. I, I, I pull it out of my, I pull it out. I'm like, no, 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 not yet. Because you're getting ready to hit the descent. Put it back in your pocket. I go to put it back in my pocket and I miss my pocket. And there goes my Snigger bouncing up the road like a little log. And I'm just like, I lost my Snigger. I can't believe I lost my Snigger. Little voice came into my head and said, listen, if the worst thing that happens to you in a 2.4 mile swim and 112 mile bike and a 26.2 mile run is you lose a candy bar, that's a good day. So shut your little pie hole and get back in the race, which I did. And I use that lesson to people to explain, you know, we all make mistakes. We drop our Snickers. I mean, we, you know, we thought this is going to be the outcome. We did everything right. We anticipated and it didn't work. That's not what's important. What's important is what you do with it. Mm -hmm. And I, and you know, and I did have a good race. I got right back in it, you know? And so those are some of the kinds of messages that I, that I give to people that I think have a lot of relevance to organizations. Absolutely. And I, I could see where that story was going to go. And I was already feeling <laughs> sad for you um, because you're right. We've all, we have those situations and, and it does happen and, and how we get up and what we learn from those situations is as important as the preparation it takes to get you there. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, um, success always leaves clue and so does failure. You know, and it's really, really important to sit there and say, you know, it happened. Nothing has any meaning except the meaning you give it. And I mean, you know, you, know, you ever seen a dog with three legs? Just a three-legged dog. Why? Because it doesn't give any meaning to it. It's just a dog with three legs. So you can look at the race and say, you know, I had a terrible race or I had a good race. You had the race you had. I mean, whenever, you know, you know, I mean, people say, what's your goal? And I tell them, finish in an upright position with a pulse. We start with that. And then we, and then we move down from there to see what else we can, what other kind of noise we can make. But that's the idea. The other thing I think is helpful is that, is that it's really important to understand that you, you get in the situation you're in in your life it, for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, um, when, when COVID hit, it basically did a number on lots of different businesses, depending on what you did. The people that pivoted and adjusted did much better. This platform that we have right now, this Zoom platform, there are people that embraced it. And there are people that did, didn't know what to do with it. And they had a different kind of experience. Um, in, in 2017, um, Lake Placid started introducing a, a 70.3, a, a half Ironman. And um, 
it was going to be in the summer. Well, you know, in Lake Placid, they have two seasons, July and winter. And so even though it's on the calendar, it's September everywhere else. Well, nonsense. It's the second week in September. We're already we're still officially in summer. Um, race morning, um, the water is 61 degrees and the air temperature is 36. Not, not quite the balmy thing we expected. I get out of the first loop. I can't feel my hands. For, for tw- I mean, my wife thinks I'm dead in the transition area. She gets out of there. I get out and I'm like out of like um, 2,200 people. There's 100 left. And I'm one of the hundred and I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to do? I mean, you get any farther back, you know, you're, you're going to be not in the race. It looked like a movie set. There's nobody out there. I don't mean metaphorically. I mean, literally there's nobody out there. And so I said, what do you do? It's not a swim meet. Okay. That's done. But you, you know, you're not, it's not a swim meet. You got these other things to do. And I said, I'm going to count people. I got to have something to do. There's nothing going on. I start counting people, 10, 20, 30, 40, long story short. I ended up passing 600 people in the bike and the run and made the podium. Not how you start. It's how you finish. You know, and, and you know, and, and I could have focused on it, on what it could have, should have. You know, I mean, why didn't I know, why did I do this race and it's so, race, I mean, game on. You know, the thing I love most about the sport is that a race to me is just an all-day problem-solving event. Just one problem to solve after another. And, and it's in many ways the longest day, one of the shortest days, all at the same time, because it's one of the few days in in an adult's life where they're present. Adults have a very, very difficult time staying present. Most of us wouldn't know the present if it bit us in the butt because we spend very, we have one foot in the future, think about what we're going to do, and one foot in the past, think about what we could have done. So we, that's why as you age, um, time goes faster. It doesn't go faster. You're just not there. So you miss it because you're not there. You know, people have days where they were there all day, like the day they got married, they were children were born. They they have days when they were all there. And those are very different kinds of days. This is one of those kinds of days because you're totally present. And I think that is a great lesson that I try to give to people. It's like, you know, the present's a great place to be. It's like where everything happens, by the way. It's a cool place to hang out. All this stuff's like made up, right? It's a cool place to be. Can you... I love that. I love one foot in the future, one foot in the past, and you're not in the present. Right. Can you give us a, a business story or a client story that that applies to? Or, or... Of, of having one foot in the present and one foot? Um, I'm sure. Yeah, I think I think probably one of those was um, it, it really, he was really fr- frustrated. Um, this is so interesting. He, this guy grew up in third world poverty. He grew up in Appalachia with dirt floors. It's hard to believe that he would exist anymore, but it did. And what happened was that um, he did one of these, you know, uh, Scarlet O'Hare and Gone with the Wind. I'll never go hungry again. And he started an electrical contracting business. And while he was struggling, he was really effective because he was right there. He was right there where it was going on. But as he became successful, he didn't know success. And so success was very, very frightening to him. And he couldn't stay where he was because he kept projecting. And his projections were, I'm going to lose it. It's, 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 it's not, I'm going to go back to where I was. And so I had to keep bringing him back and saying, well, let's, let's look, you know, let's look recently. Like, how we do today? We do okay today. It, it, pretty good. Okay. And, and, and what about last week? Pretty good. Okay. So we have a pattern here. We're on a, we're on a trend. We're on a, we're moving in a certain direction. Okay. So the best indicator of future performance, not the only one, but the best 
uh, entertainment performance is past behavior. So I say, so I'm able to bid him to say, you can stay now and have this. You don't have to go into next month and lose it. Because all you're going to do, whenever you focus on what you don't have, what's not there, and what you haven't done, all it does is it doesn't allow you to see what you do have, what you have done, what is there. It doesn't change that. Because that's the, you know, fear is almost always about the per perceived future. It's a story we make up in our head. And we tell our stories all day. We have like this documentary going on throughout the day. I'm going to do this and this is going to work and it's not going to work. And they said this to me probably for that reason. So, you know, I talk to a lot of telepathic people for a living. You know, they'll tell me, you know, well, you know, you know, that's what they said. Well, did they say it? Well, not in so many words. Well, like in how many words? Well, they didn't exactly. So they said that like in no words. So you like made that story up. And now you're making decisions based on how you get now. Where, you know, where does endurance actually come into that? I'm thinking about the run on the beginning of the swim. I mean, there's no run there. There's, not, there, there's no bike there. There's no bike until I'm almost coming out of the water. Then I'm thinking transition. And then the minute I get on the bike, the swim disappears. There's no more swim. Swim doesn't exist anymore. It's why? Because there's enough going on. You know, you're, you're on a bike for 112 miles. You pay attention. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can go on in a bike. And anyway, there's a lot, lot, of, lot of stuff going on out there. So if you can just look at what's going on in the present, I was able to get him to see, you know, where you are now, you've been for a while. Like, you're, you're, it's, it's sort of like when you're in the race and you're like, I'm trained for this. I didn't just like show up. I mean, we better not. Um, you know, I better not at least, you know. Um, it's like you can basically look at this and say, okay, if I can be where I am, I can get to have what I, what I, what I, is actually there. But then, so that was that was an example of when that happened. That's a, a great example. Um, one of my favorite sayings is the story doesn't define you, but how you tell it will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Nothing has any meaning except to me. You give it everything is just what it is. And it, it's it, it's neutral. It's just it, it's an event. It's an event that happened, you know, and, you know, and so the the ability to be able to be able to look at things and to be able to find some joy. I believe that I believe that in, in every obstacle, there is some kind of a blessing. If you find it, I, I had my season got wiped out last year because I tore my meniscus in, um, you know, since I've also torn my rotator cuff, broken my collarbone. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a, you know, I'm, I'm a rehab freak is what I am actually. So I thought, okay, so this, this year's out. So I wonder what kind of, uh, I wonder what kind of present is here. It's been unbelievable what's happened. I have an amazing, an amazing uh, physical therapist. I have learned more about my body than I've ever known, which would not have happened. Um, I used to cramp constantly, get in the water, put on your wetsuit and cramp. I mean, that's just sort of the process. I don't cramp anymore. I've learned about neuromuscular fatigue and what to do about it. I never would have known that. And this is with my Achilles. I don't have it. I didn't realize, I did not know this because um, I'm 73, I'm going to be 74. I didn't know that as you age, the first loss of that atrophy is your own. Look at the average old person. They have no calf. They just have straight legs and atrophies. And so basically, if your calf can't go to work, your Achilles positive show up, not their job. They don't do it real well. I didn't know that. I mean, the things I learned, the things I learned, I still learn. I'm still learning from him. You know, he's, you know, he's 26 years old. I call him coach. What are you telling me to do? I do. Not, not a lot of 26 shows are directing me these days. <laughs> you know. Michael, that's a, 
let's dive into that a little bit deeper. What else? This is really fascinating. And I didn't expect this conversation to turn into sort of learning about our bodies. Yes. Um, talk to us about that process. Like what got you into the cure? Was it just a conversation with your PT that then you asked some questions and then you started learning or was there something else that was driving your curiosity? A couple of things. So, so he was, a, so he was a D1 swimmer. He had done, he had done uh, an Eagle man in Maryland. Um, and, and, you know, in his first race, was like in four hours and 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, this guy, this is the real deal. I'm not, you know. And so we automatically had a report because of triathlon. And he had a sort of an understanding of what I, what kind of was involved in all of this. And so he had instant credibility. And as he began to work with me, you know, when you, when you damage your, when your, when your meniscus is torn, the first thing you get back is the, is the swim. And then you get back the bike and the last thing you get back is the run. So there was an enormous amount of work because since I was going to put athletic demand on it, you know, it was like when I tore my road cutter cup, I had to, I had to rehab for nine months because I wasn't trying to pick up a can of peaches. I was you know, off the top shelf. I was trying to really, this thing is going to get worked again. So I had to put a lot of it. So we went into this thing with the process of, um, we're going to get you back. I, I started, I started running, um, I was 30 seconds on and two minutes walking. That's when I started. And now, now I, you know, I ran Saturday for an hour. You know, I mean, I run, I run now. I just run. But along the way, things would happen. So I would, you know, because I hadn't run for four months. I don't think, I don't think I've run my life without running for four months. I don't think it's ever happened before in the history of me, you know. Um, and so it was, there was all this atrophy. That, you know, the other thing that happens as you age, the muscles will atrophy faster, you know, so, so, um, so basically what would happen is there would be a thing. So my Achilles would get, and he told me, he said, cause I had never done, this is one of the things specific I did not know. I had never done, um, um, strength specific exercise for my lower body. It was, I would always depend on my running and my cycling for, for my leg strength. And he basically said to me, so we're going to work, we're going to do exercise specifically geared to, to build the muscles in your legs. And when you come back, you will be faster. And I did enter in. And so that was one of the things that was, that was really um, helpful that as an issue would arise, so I'd have an issue in my hamstring. So this is what we need to do. This is why your hamstring's doing this. And I'd have an issue in my calf, so your calf is doing this, or my Achilles, and, you know, and, and this is why this is happening. And, and this is how you strengthen your quads, not on the bike. I would just get on the bike and climb. That's how I would build my quads. You know, that's what I figured. You know, I used, I used to get on my trainer every March and my knees would be sore. And I'm like, well, that's because they're trying to do the work. So you should want to get strong. The knee pain will go away, which it would. So I always, had, I had this, I was habituated to a certain way of looking at things. And then when I'd cramp, I said, I just cramp. I had been told years ago, it could be neuromuscular fatigue. They don't know what causes cramps. I mean, there's just many, there's just many reasons as there are cramps or theories as there are cramps. But one of them is your presence. I would always cramp at the end of the swim. And so he said, so that was not a goal to stop that. That was an interesting byproduct. I just began to, to say when I would see Alex, uh, hey, by the way, I'm not cramping. I haven't cramped. Uh, you know, you don't think about something when it's not happening. Like, you'll go up for a run and say, gee, like my, like my camp didn't hurt today and you're thinking about whatever you're thinking about. And so that was really the process of really, as it would happen and as it would unfold, then, then it would basically be a story. And then 
and exercise normally one kind or another. You know, I never did exercises for for a slimmer shoulder. I do them. I do them twice a week. I didn't know you need to do that. You know, when I get slimmer shoulder, my shoulder would get sore, but I didn't know slimmer shoulder. You know, what would I do? Take off, take off time. You know, so I didn't know. You know, I've always in the past said, well, if one, if one of the three doesn't work, I can just do the other two. So, you know, you know, like, 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 like that's news to most, to most triathletes. It's like, yeah, that's, that's how we work, you know. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about the recovery. Something happens, you fix it, you learn, you push forward. I find the same with our training, right? It, the reason you go out and do your century ride eight weeks before your race is so that you know how to change your flat tire or you know which climbs are going to kick your butt. And so when you're on the day, you're like, oh, I've already dealt with something like this because something's right. going to happen. Yeah. And the other thing I found is important is that, and I, and I find there's, a, there's an absolute metaphor to this outside of racing, that when it, whenever Alex and I are working together, he's focusing on either um, um, intensity of, of the, of the um, exercise that I'm doing, um, the, the demand like, like how much strength training might I be doing or something, like might be lifting or something, and then the distance. So, so he will never change. He'll only change one of those variables. Um, so, so I'd worked up to in my rehab so that I could run an hour twice a week. So he said, okay, now we're going to start running three times a week, and we're still going to stay at two hours because we're going to change. We're going to change the frequency, so we're not going to change the distance. So I find oftentimes when somebody's trying to accomplish a goal, the way I look at it is I'll, I'll say there is a sort of relationship between demand and capacity. So oftentimes what we're trying to do is we're, we're, we want to accomplish something too quickly. So we put too much demand and too much capacity. So, um, you know, and, you know, what can you get done in an hour, about an hour's worth? You know, you know, what does that mean? Well, it varies from an hour and a half. Look, I have this theory based on nothing that there are 10 days in the year where we are gold. I mean, all that comes in the mail is money. People return our calls and we just want the day to last forever. There's 10 days out of the year. We're wondering why we got out of bed. But if we put the covers overhead, probably the house would catch fire. We just want the day over. If that's true, and I don't know it is, but I am saying that it is. That leaves 345 for grabs. They can be anything. They can be anything, you know. So, you know, I look at people and I say, there's two questions that you're asking when you're trying to accomplish any kind of goal. First one is, what is my goal or goals? And the second is, what are my concerns? And you, you answer those two. I think that, I think that you need two things to, to also to get something. You need a bullheaded belief in yourself. I mean, in the pit of your gut, when nobody believes, you believe. And you need a workable plan. That is absolutely what endurance racing is all about. It's also what life is about. So somebody that says that a belief in themselves and has has no plan is sitting there going, I could, what, I'm going to, what, I could. They're like a car on blocks just racing the engine. But people that have a plan and no belief, opportunity can muggle. And they're not going to do anything because we only go as far as our fears let us. And so... If, if we're not basically going up to the edge a lot of times and pushing what that fear is, we're not going to move past it. The only, the only way around it is through it. There is no way around it. And unfortunately, I'm sorry that this is true for people. There is no such thing as doing nothing. Left unattended things deteriorate. 
if, if, if when I decided to, when I could do nothing for four months, my muscles atrophied. I wasn't doing anything. So unfortunately, the decision to do nothing is a passive decision to let things get worse. You can't not participate in your own life. It, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's a nice try, but in there, you know, if I decide to not cut the grass in May and I go out in September, it's not going to be the same way. You know, going to be up to the bottom of the window and as I lay through trash and then now the, uh, the, the, the rats ate the trash, the snakes ate the rats, the mongoose ate the snakes, and now all of a sudden I got a menagerie and all I had was like an inch of grass in May. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. So, you know, it, it's important to say, you know, do you or do you not want to participate in your own life? That's what I love about endurance athletes and athletics. It's like game on. Game on. I mean, it's such an it's such an amazing fraternity to be a part of because we all understand each other. You talk to a punk, they go through the exact same issues that an age grouper goes through. You know, I mean, they're all of age groupers. They have no idea how an age grouper could do this twice of their time. I got done eight hours and you're there nine hours. They went, they went, you know, that when I when I did my very first one, I set my because they used to have a, a row, I used to have a mass start. I, I set my clock, my watch at seven o'clock in the morning, put the timer on. I looked at seven o'clock at night. I said, what are we doing? You're still doing that. You're still doing the same. And five more hours? Like, really? Really? Like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't read a book for, for, for 17 hours. I, I, I couldn't think 17 hours. I couldn't, I mean, what are you doing? Like, how's, how's this work? It took me six months to get my head around it. And, you know, that's one of the things where you start and say, you know what? I think when you get ready to die, I don't know this, but I, my guess is, I think it's really going to bug you, but you're going to die in this, but you didn't attempt. I don't think it's going to be necessarily what didn't work, but I think it's going to really bug you. Why didn't I do that? And we know what, you know, you know, I, you know, why didn't, why didn't I do that? Why, why didn't I take that chance? Why didn't, sometimes it's like, why didn't I talk to that person? You know, I mean, so it can be that simple. Why, why didn't I ask for that? Why, why didn't I tell somebody that was important to me? Like, why, why didn't I do that? I mean, I think this is so great to basically just say, I love when that, I love when that can goes off. Game on. Here we go. Let's go. I mean, you know, whoop. This is like, you know, I think to be able to get up in the morning and look at your life like that is just fantastic. I mean, if I don't care what somebody listening messes up today, if your feet hit the ground tomorrow morning, you get a do-over. That's so cool. I mean, get, another, like, get a last shot, you know? The, the swimming that half was not so hot. We weren't done. We weren't done. We were done when we said we're done. We weren't done, you know. That's so well said, Michael. You've got me fired up. Um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about what you do professionally, how people get in touch with you. Give us this. I mean, we've got a real good sense of it, so obviously, but we haven't addressed it directly. Let's talk so, about uh, your business. So unstucker.com, Michael at unstucker.com. And basically what I am is I'm somebody that go, that work, I work with individuals to help them figure out what to do next with their lives. That's one thing I do. In organizations, basically what I do is I call it corporate daycare. I basically, um, and my job is to make sure that adults can know how to talk and listen to each other more effectively and, and get on the same page. So I basically... Uh, I basically teach a process to people to help them learn how to to um, listen, listen, and really listen with the goal to understand, not necessarily to agree, because we don't necessarily agree with each other, but to and, and to basically to connect beyond differences, to, to basically say, okay, I don't, 
think that way. And I couldn't, well, you know, we're always, we're always a little disappointed when people don't think like us. It really kind of bums us out. Like, you know, why not? I mean, why don't, why don't you think that way? Because <laughs> I'm not you. You know, I mean, if you, if you know, if you and I were sitting across the table with each other, there would be things that you would see that are behind me that I can't see. I guarantee they're real just because I can't see them. And I would see things you couldn't see. Now, if I could go over on your side of the table for a second, I'd say, oh, okay, I get why you're telling me there's a window there. I didn't see a window, but I get why you're telling me that, you know. And so rather than what we normally do is, which is to attack people's mental health and they don't agree with us. What are you nuts? What are you crazy? What are you out of your mind? What are you off your rock? And there must be something wrong with you. We basically say, well, I don't think that way, but that is a way to think. And I don't mean... I understand how you think you more on you. I don't mean like that. I mean, that's another way to think. And I don't think, I get people to really, to really understand what sort of, uh, there's, it's, in negotiating, there's a, there's a concept called the interest behind the position. Like, what is really the reason why? Adults are very tricky to work with because unlike children, they rarely talk about what they're talking about. Like, children are really easy, you know. I don't like you and I wish you weren't my dad. I mean, okay, there we go. I mean, that's that. There's not a lot of ambiguity. What adults get frustrated by is I don't feel seen by you. I don't feel heard by you or I don't feel valued by you. That's why I'm behaving with you. And when I get upset, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to act out or I'm going to shut down. I mean, we're right going to me by that way. We're not really sophisticated. And so when that happens, all of a sudden, the thing we're talking about is not going to move anywhere because that's not the thing we're talking about. We're talking about, I feel like when I talk, you don't listen to me. I feel like you, I don't feel like you don't respect me. I, I feel like that, I feel like that um, when we're public, that you don't care about how you talk to me. I mean, those are what's really going on. And again, it's not in the name of having somebody be right or wrong. It's the name of saying, okay, so this is what we did. And that's not getting us where we want. Again, very much the same with what we know in athletics. We know that in endurance, we don't do something that's not working over and over again in our sport. You know, we make a, we make a change of some kind. Um, but to basically say, so let's try something different. Is I tell people all the time, I said, I don't know if what I'm going to do is going to work or not, but I know what you're doing in work because you call me. So, you know, though, I mean, the question is whether you think I can, I mean, you already did it, but it's a problem. I didn't call you. You know, obviously you think something's wrong. The only question is you think I can help you fix it, but we've identified there's a flat. Okay, I don't know where it came from, but we—you're the one that said there's a flat there, so that's why I'm here. So kind of, it kind of helps me that way to be able to say, "Hey, is it going to work?" You know, I've been people that I've seen one time, and they're doing exactly just fine. I'm not that good. They were 95 yards into the race, and I blew on them. But if there are people that are 95 yards into the race, there are people that have locked their their track shoes in the trunk of the car and can't find the track. You know, my job is to meet people where they are and help them get where they want to get. Sometimes that's communicating. Sometimes that's setting goals. Sometimes that's managing their time. Sometimes that's managing the work part of their lives. You know, I mean, I had somebody the other day that was kind of like, like how do you make the decision about whether you do this work or that work? I said, well, you make, you see if that's a good life choice. Not is that a, that a good career plan? Is that a good life choice? Is that going to fit in the fabric of my life? And I think part of that comes from the fact that I have to weave these three disciplines together and they all have to be able to work well together. And then, and then you know, the fourth and fifth, the fourth transition, the fifth nutrition. I mean, there are these other parts of this thing that you need to be able to build in and, and all 
You have to be firing all cylinders. So if the work part of your life is, is you're really killing it, but at the expense of, of the personal part of your life, what have you done? You know, I mean, it's not, you know, it, it's the, the, the one who has the most toys at the end does not win. You never saw a hearse pull your U-Haul. You're not taking this stuff anywhere. I mean, so, you know, whatever that's about, I don't know what that's about, you know, but the bottom line is if you look at this and you say, okay, I want, I want work that works, but I want it to work within the context. I mean, so often, I can't tell you how many times when somebody's having an issue at work because, you know, I, you know, I'm the, I'm the, uh, the, the, the listener to secrets. I mean, people tell me their stuff. I got, I was fortunate years ago, I was profiled in Inc. Magazine and the guy that was doing the article said to me, I'd like to come watch you. And I said, well, you can't do that. And I said, it's not therapy, but you can't watch. I mean, people tell me their stuff. You know? They tell me their stuff. And I can't tell you how many times that work is just where this is being expressed, but it's really somewhere else. It's really something where they, you know, and sort of like, so, we, you know, that that we're always working within a context of something, you know. And, and also, you know, if, if you've ever been at work, for example, and there's been a negative transaction, you can have somebody say something to you very harmful and nine o'clock in the morning, it'll wreck their day. It can, it can just take you out. We're, we're kind of interesting about our bad moods. We tend to be very, very generous with them. We share them with other people so they also can be infected by the virus. And, and we also tend to exaggerate, you know, they, you know, one of the things, another thing that I do is teach our customer service. And one of the things we know about the research is that when you get um, good customer service, you tell two people, when you get bad, you tell 10. And you always exaggerate it. That was the most amazing restaurant in history. I'm like, no, probably not. No, probably just really good. That was the worst service ever that I've ever had. And so I tell people in organizations, what are you doing with your internal customers? As in the people that work with you. We do not hesitate when we call somebody outside to say, is now a good time? They catch it a good time. But how often do we just barge into somebody's office and just start running our mouth? And, not, and they're doing something. They're not the information desk at the mall. They're, they're doing something, you know. Now, why do we not ask? Because we don't want to know. Because we don't care. We just want to. And I tell people, do you want somebody to listen to you? You know, why do I have to ask a good time? Because they're not going to listen to you. I mean, it's not in your bed. If they're not available to hear you, you're just talking to the wall. Or they're doing the listening thing like the bobblehead, you know, these wild men. They're not listening. You know, they just took a trip and never left the farm. So it's really like it's in your best interest to be able to find out what people need. I ask people all the time, what do you need? I want this. No, what do you need? See, wants are negotiable, but needs are non-negotiable. You know, if Johnny wants attention, Johnny will get straight A's or he'll set the cat's tail on fire, but he's going to get him some attention, okay? So, you know, do people misbehave sometimes? Yeah, because some attention is better than being bored. You know, I mean, and again, it's about being seen, heard, or valued. Yeah. Michael, audience member wants to get in touch with you. What's the best way? Michael at unstucker.com. And you can also find me, Michael Bryant, on LinkedIn. I'm one of the Michael Bryant shows. <laughs> Fantastic. And we'll include those links and the email in our show notes. Michael, this great. has been an awesome conversation and we could go on and on and on for hours. I really like the way you you laid out your year. You know, you've got 10 days of gold days, you've got 10 days of not so gold days, and the rest, the 340 in the middle, just to um just to so, up for grabs, right? 
And we also talked about our goals and our versus our, what's our, my concerns. And I really enjoyed starting off our conversation and hearing you talk about the 140 mile swim because when I did Lake Placid, it rained for probably half the first loop on the bike. And I thought that was going to be miserable. There was yes. lightning involved as well. Oh, no. um, <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Yes. For those in the audience, uh, if you got some value out of today's show, please go down and subscribe. Please like the show, share this with your community. Michael provided us a ton of insights and inspiration across the show. So let's spread the word amongst our community. Michael, again, it's been awesome having you today. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate it.